Hello and welcome to The Queer Experience. I am your host, Eric Crumrine. My pronouns are he, they. Um, and today we are talking about tabletop gaming and tabletop RPGs. And so I have assembled an all-star crew of tabletop gamers that are here to talk about their experiences, talk about their their hopes, their dreams, the things that they love um, when it comes to tabletop. So I'm going to start by kicking it over to our first person, Dakota. If you want to introduce yourself, um, tell us your pronouns, and then maybe give like a two-sentence why you love tabletop gaming. So I'm Dakota. I use they, them pronouns. And I love tabletop gaming because it gives me an outlet for creativity that is within the realm of socializing with people. Um, awesome. Danny, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey y'all. My name is Danny. Um, my pronouns are he, him. And for me, tabletop uh, role-playing has given me a space to not only tell my stories, but hear stories from all all types of perspectives and it allows that that uh little little child in me that you know loves the idea of escapism and uh running away to weird and scary and exciting far parts of the universe uh in the comfort of my little home so yeah that's why that's succinctly i guess but a billion other reasons for sure right right uh and ray Hi there, I'm Mr. Ray. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. And I really love tabletop RPGs because it's absolute freedom. And it really gives a lot of fun insight into people. Like, you just learn new things about people whenever you play games with them. You learn, you know, what kind of things they like and like more about their personality or what they wish their personality was. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. I and, and again, my name is Eric, and I think for me, I've I fell into the world of tabletop, and I think I've I've enjoyed it just because, I, as like a as a part time writer and somebody who likes that creative space, I I love tabletop for allowing, especially as like I fall into the the DM GM role frequently, and so I think I love that because it lets my creative side, um, kind of like Dakota was saying, like I get to be creative, but also kind of I'm connecting with people and helping people tell a story together. Because um, for me, those are my probably my most fun campaigns and things that I run are the ones where everyone's kind of contributing versus like here is a module of like a one shot and I want you all to fall into this story. Um, but I like that idea of like kind of being able to socialize and and be creative together. Um, so building on this, we know we we all love we've established we all love tabletop gaming. Um, I'm going to go backwards this time, Ray. What was your first? What was your first tabletop game and like what made you want to jump in and play tabletop games? Um, for me, uh, I, I've, I've been playing tabletops at least since 2004, 2003, that range. Um, and surprisingly it didn't start with the dragon game. Um, I actually, (laughs) I, there's, there's a local old bookstore called, gardeners it's like the size of a walmart it's like one of my favorite places in the world but digging through like one of their back rooms i found the very first star wars role play uh book that was just like d6 and it gave you advice on like how to run and tell stories in the star wars universe 
and it was incredible and i always wanted to play it but i never could get like a group together to to do it um but then after that i got pulled into it um from church of all places um i was going to this church i was a part of the band and uh, one of the old band members was like hey do you like lord of the rings and conan the barbarian and i was like i like lord of the rings and so he <laughs> just got me in with his his kids and um, we started playing, you know, just fun little D and D three point five one shots. Nice, I love that. I love I love that Star Wars is like an entry point because I feel like so yeah. often it's like that's I I feel like there's certain ones that are always like people's entry points, and Star Wars I feel like it's not one I often hear. That's always that's fun. Yeah, I still have not played a good like solid Star Wars campaign. So uh, anybody wants to run one, uh, give me a call. <laughs> And Danny, what about you? Yeah, my earliest memory of uh, role-playing games in in general was when I was a kid. I was probably like three or four, and I'm the youngest um, of a whole bunch of uh, first-generation immigrants over here. And I just remember... um, being, <laughs> I guess, being a uh, a playtester of my my oldest cousin Ying's. Uh, he it was a dragon game, but I don't think it was the dragon game. Um, but I just remember it was drawn on graph paper, and he had these weird rules, and he would make me like act and jump around and be really silly. And I grew up playing uh, analog games, board games, um, of course, video games. Growing up. But in my adult life, uh, I dabbled here and there um, with uh, D&D uh, throughout college, and I, I, I fell headfirst into board gaming, actually. So that's kind of what um, got me to the table around around just connecting with other people. And I realized that board gaming itself, uh, like thinking of like the board game community and then thinking of the tabletop RPG community, they can be... Um, uh, a juxtaposition of each other because board gamers kind of love the 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 crunch, I guess, that the really nitty gritty rules, and they want to analyze things and do the optimal rules. But I mean, that's kind of like trying to min max your characters and build the best characters in in any any game. But I realized when I was playing board games, I would always try to get into the theme of characters and get into the theme of what's going on and maybe it might not be the optimal move but it felt right in the moment and i would i i would play around with that and it wasn't until probably uh december of 2020 was when i i kind of built up a, a relatively big following on social media and i was like okay i'm going to make a concerted effort to get into tabletop rpgs but here's the thing i only want to play with queer people um, and it was amazing. Uh, the community just uh, kind of blew up and uh, we kind of uh, built up this little um, uh, D&D, uh, queer D&D group. So shout out to RK and Eric and Cam and uh, Jess. But that, that was like my first long term D&D campaign. And of course, with how the world went after that, it was just like uh, a deep dive and escapism of, you know, being able to rely on that D and D group once the the world started burning. So yeah, ever since then, I, I fell in love with trying to discover different systems and, you know, creating characters is probably one of my favorite things in any system. Um, And yeah, I never looked back. 
And Dakota, what about you? Well, I will say that I am a quintessential example of the pandemic TTRPG baby. Like, I um, had always had an interest in uh, playing TTRPGs, but never really had a group to play with. I've played um, RPGs as my main avenue of video games since I was really young. And so um, when during the pandemic, I finally made some wonderful friends online and developed a community, I met a number of other people who said, I've always wanted to try out TTRPGs, but I've never been able to. And so we kind of, a group of four or five of us banded together and went out searching for a DM. And I, I was able to recruit a, an experienced player who'd, who DM'd a few times. Um, and he started a, um, a pre-written module of a D&D campaign for us. And I fell head over heels um, in love with uh, not only just role-playing, you know, I was an actor um, throughout, you know, middle and high school and things like that, but also just the elements of trying to put yourself in different situations and understand all the dynamics of all the characters um, that are around you. And so I just, I I fell straight into D&D and then into a variety of other um, TTRPG systems, primarily through uh, one-shots, which I have a special place in my heart for one-shots now. And I feel like I'm responsible for at least at least half, if not 75% of those. <laughs> a large portion, most <laughs> certainly. Nice. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like for a lot of folks, I feel like D and like tabletop gaming, regardless of where anybody was at prior to the pandemic, I definitely feel like 2020 and 2021, like I know I was one of those people also like I re got back into like, okay, I need something. And I, we now have the technology. It's in a better place where I can do this in an online way and mm-hmm. be able to like connect with my friends and actually see people and actually hang out and do stuff. Um, and I'll say, I think for, so for me, I mean, my, my tabletop gaming days, I, there's a, it's a, like, there was a game I played when I was younger and I, for the life of me, I can never remember the name of it. And I've tried looking for it and I can't figure out what it is. So if anyone listening to this knows what I'm talking about, but there was a game that I had as a kid that was like, it was, you had to put these like little door knockers on doors in your house and like little tokens in front of the doors that they were at. And you would roll dice and based on what the dice were, you'd have to go to a different door and do a thing and roll dice. And if you were successful, like you would literally go through your house. It was I was verging on LARPing at this point. Um, <laughs> but like it was so fun to be engrossed and like have more than just the, the the table you were sitting at be part of the game. Being able to be like, I'm a character in this thing. And it I feel like I'm embodying it a bit more. Um and it had like it was like a haunted house vibe to it as well, if I if I'm remembering correctly. But again, I was like late elementary school, so who who knows? Um, but I think my first actual like tabletop campaign was, um, and this I mean I know this one is a little bit controversial because people have feelings about whether or not it's a good system or not. But it was D and D fourth edition, um, yep, which is, was my familiar. entry point. So I've told people that, and then some people are like, oh, and you stuck with it. Good for you. <laughs> like you actually did more than one session. Um, but I had nothing to compare it to. So like for me, it was fun. And I feel like like uh, an array of queer people that I played D&D with, my first character was a tiefling. 
Um, I don't know why that is a thing, but I know that, that is a common occurrence across the table is, is for some reason people are drawn to tieflings. I, and I love my, my magic users. Um, but it's like everyone else. Like, I think it was just part of my first campaign was also just like connecting with people. I was new in a city. Um, I had just moved there and someone that I had connected with was like, Oh, I'm running this game and I, you can meet other people through this game. Um, and actually is, is now like one of my longstanding good friends who Ray knows it's our, our friend Nate who runs the pot of blunders. Um, uh, yep. Okay. My very, first, was my very first DM and was my very first person who like got me into gaming. And since then, and that was about 11 or 12 years ago. And that oh, kind of like okay. launched up my, my, uh, journey into tabletop role-playing stuff. But I love the idea of like across the board, like everyone kind of, especially pandemic people have kind of dove into it more. But I guess for anybody, has there have there been games that like really stand out as like this campaign or this system was just like so much fun? Like I would love to either like maybe not revisit because I know going back to a campaign, you know, you're like, oh, it's not the same. But like, are there any things you look back on? You're just like, that was so much fun. Like this whole campaign or this whole system was just something that like clicked for me. Yeah, I will say something that we haven't talked about and something that I recently, I guess within the past year or two discovered was solo RPGs. Um, mm. And I have absolutely fell in love with the designer who is surprisingly like now a peer and a friend of mine, Gian Shim. Um, she does absolutely amazing thematic, uh, immersive like self retrospective uh solo RPGs and it was something that was uh, especially being in a in a space and time where we were longing for human connection for me jumping into one of their games was a a time where I could be quiet and think about uh, things in a different, different light or think about things in a different, um, in a different space. And it, it was, it kind of gave me that, uh, perspective of like, it's okay to be alone and it's okay to be retrospective in a time that we are longing for human connection. And it, it, it's one of the, the pivotal things that kind of got me through, um, the pandemic really. And I tell her every time I see her, she's one of my favorite designers, um, she just has a, a brilliant mind and it's something that if, if y'all haven't tried to do, I know it's kind of the opposite of every single thing we've been talking about with connection and being around a table and all that, but it is a great way for you to tell stories by yourself. And even you can take those stories, you can share them with your friends, you can use them as inspiration for your next campaign. So they're not a, a, a um, they're not a solo thing at the end of the day, but having those little little uh, spots where you can you can take time for yourself that's that's something that's really stood out to me. Um, so yeah, that's something. I mean, I, I feel like because I've been trying to like I I am a person who I the number of itch.io bundles that I have bought over the last three years has to tantamount to at least two to three hundred digital copies of things that I have acquired through like charity bundles and whatever. And there's always so many like solo ones that I think would be so interesting to dive into. Um, 
that, and I've been trying to think like if there's ways to do it even for a recording or whatever, but I wonder if it might be something that could be, and we're going to talk this out out loud on a podcast real quick, but like doing one where everyone has to go do a solo by them, like the same solo tabletop RPG, like on their own, and then come back to the table and talk about that experience. Um, yeah, that could be kind fun. of cool as a way to like share that out. Um, so stay tuned, everybody, because I might work that into my rotation of things. Um, but no, I, and so what, what drew you to your first like solo, like what drew you to, to play a solo RPG for the first time? Um, I think it was just, uh, it was through word of mouth. Um, once I started getting into tabletop RPGs, um, of course that sneaky little thing called crowdfunding and or Kickstarter, um, sneaks in <laughs> insidiously and you just see all these different amazing creators, uh, putting their heart and soul into these crowdfunded creations. And, uh, one of my good friends, they just Facebook messaged me. They had been doing it. I'm in a group chat with a whole bunch of board gamers, but, um, they were like, again, might be a different crowd than a different, uh, than a, a sitting at a table, but they were like, Hey, this is an RPG. I've never heard of solo RPGs before, but they've been doing these solo journaling RPGs or, or whatever they found. And yeah, they just shot me a message. They were like, Hey, do you want to do this? And for the life of me, I cannot forget the first one I did by Gion. But if you back the Kickstarter, um, you after the Kickstarter ended, you would start getting prompts in an email. So you got the physical book that will be sent out, but in an email, you'll get like a day one. And it was like a, set, a 14 or 21 day self journaling thing. And you would get prompts. And it was just really cool because you were experiencing this solo thing. But then like, if you were to post it on Twitter or Instagram, you could use the hashtag and you could see how other people utilize these prompts or how they're they're They, they interpreted these prompts. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, definitely something on my radar of like, I, and again, like as someone who's a writer and wants to do things creatively, I feel like it would be an interesting venture to dive into a little bit. But um, I'm going to look. So Dakota, what about you? Talk to me about what's been something I feel like I feel like I got one of yours on Twitter about like a moment that really brought you joy. But is there anything out like anything that stands out to you as like some favorite parts of games that you've been in? Yeah, so I think, like I said, one of the things that really draws me into games is to TTRPGs is actually the dynamics that develop in between characters and so i think one of my my favorites is actually a one shot that that you gm'd for us of masks where mm. um i i really enjoyed the system it was my first time playing the system i thought it it provided a great level of structure for creativity and things but my favorite part of it was that we had all sort of conceived of our characters in a vacuum one of my favorite things to do is really dive into a character's backstory and the way that they might interact with the world and and the other players characters and we sort of had all conceived our characters as antisocial introverts who didn't want <laughs> yep. to be talking to anyone else and so we all came together and introduced our characters and we realized oh, wow, we really did this. But instead of trying to alter what how we had made our characters, we just decided to become the antisocial superheroes. 
mm-hmm. um, and play the campaign that way. So we did everything we could to avoid talking to anyone, any like NPCs throughout the game. We would we would do you know research. We would uh, you know listen in around corners. We would do anything we could to a- avoid actually interacting with other uh, NPCs and things. And it was one of the most fun game um, sessions I've ever had of a TR- TTRPG because we were really playing with that dynamic that sort of just had had haphazardly come together. Um, so I think that that's really something I really try to run with now is really listening to how other people uh, create their characters and trying to figure out unique ways we can sort of maybe exploit those dynamics. <laughs> And for the record, I just need everyone to know that this because that in, in that game you have to come up with a superhero team name, and the team's name was Team Ass for antisocial superheroes. And so the entire <laughs> campaign was Team Ass, which <laughs> just was so good. Um, that's great. Yeah, and that and that's a super fun system for I think for that right, like the the masks and some of those monster of the week ones where it like it relies on the character relationships and like really forces players to build those out can be so much fun. Um, yeah. Which I, I will, I will turn over. I say monster of the week. And then I'm like, Ray person who runs monster of the week frequently and does a whole podcast around it. Tell us your favorite mm-hmm. game. And now the big question is, are you going to say monster of the week or are you going to surprise me in this moment? Well, you say favorite campaigns and I got to say like the one that, we're not to pat myself on the back, but the one that we're doing in two dollar creature feature right now is got to be like one of my favorite campaigns. Like it's one of those that I sat down with somebody else, um, our producer, like before we started the whole thing and we like hashed out like a lot of like behind the scenes details and stuff. So like there's a whole mystery like to unfold over the season and the way the players are getting to that, like, Sometimes it does feel like hurting cats, but other times, like they just come out of nowhere and just throw me nice curveballs, and it's it's been a blast. But my other favorite campaign um, had to have been whenever like my best friend was my roommate, and his brother would come over, and we would play Mutants and Masterminds Second Edition, um, like for long, like eight or ten hour stretches. Whenever I was, whenever I had the the capacity to do that. And we ran the superhero campaign for like two or three years. And I just, I just love that. We came up with some like really interesting and great stories. And in that system, you don't level up. You pretty much like have the character at the same level the whole time. And so you have to find kind of appealing and new ways to like guide your character through without the incentive of leveling up because of what you do. Right. Which I mean, yeah, it makes sense when you're doing a superhero campaign, like you're, you're already a superhero. You're not, you're not going to get more powers. Oh, I guess in some superhero, like some superhero movies and things, they guess they do a little bit, but that makes sense. I guess. So what, what was the interesting thing that like for, I guess in place of leveling up, like what you, what did you find so interesting about that, that system and, and how you were able to navigate those characters? Um, well, cause we traded off, um, GMing duties between, uh, myself, my best friend and his brother, like we would like trade around, like who was running the story and um, just the different unique ideas and the different spins that we would put out and like, just try to trip up characters and break up like, you know, the monotony of things. Like that's what really 
um, we tried to do like that was, that was kind of where I found that really nice niche of, you know, um, while everything's so static, like this is the way we can grow is by like just character driven storytelling. Right. Nice. I, I think for, I've got, as I was, as I, I mean, I wrote up the question for myself and in my own head, I didn't actually come up with my actual answer, but I think as I, as I was thinking about it while, while we were kind of getting ready, I've got, I'm going to cop out. I'm going to give two answers because I can't choose between them. But so one is I, I ran a campaign in a system called Savage Worlds, which is such a fun system. It's so wacky. I had all the supplemental books so I could do fantasy. I could do sci-fi. I could do horror. I think I had a Western book. You could do whatever you wanted. Um, but the the combat mechanism was so cool because it, it was like initiative was card based. So you draw from a deck of cards every round for initiative in that round. So it wasn't static where it's like, okay, I know I'm going first every single round. It was, okay, my this player is going to go first. And then next time, maybe they go last or... It, it kept things I think interesting and it felt new, but the story that my friends and I ended up, cause I was, and I was running that one. It was, I kind of took them on what I would describe as like a doctor who space pirates adventure where like, they were just bopping around from planet to planet and every planet was just so different and had different things. And, you know, sometimes they go somewhere where there's dinosaurs and other times they go somewhere where it's like high tech and the way that they all kind of managed my chaoticness of how I was playing this, like running the system was just so much fun. And it ended with like one player becoming a vampire, one player basically literally becoming like a version of the doctor where she ran around and like rescued princesses from their remote Isle, like their planets and took them on adventures. Like it was just the way that that all played out was just so much fun. I, I really love the sound of this. Um, if you ever want to, <laughs> Want to redo that? Uh, you know how to find me, right? <laughs> it was it was a like, and it was a good crew, and it was nice because we had newer people to, to table topping, and it was nice to like have a game that like they really the one one person who was like I think she was the newest in table topping, and like she was the one that ended up having this like spaceship where she run around and like rescue princesses from having to marry men that they didn't want to marry, and it was just like a beautiful arc of a of a character. Um, and then the other, the other one I did was in D and D five E and it was my friends didn't know when we were starting the campaign, but there, the story was basically them ascending into godhood. And so like this, the campaign started out session one was literally like at a festival, they were chosen as these people to like go through like a kind of traditional thing that happened. And then like, as it unfolded, they realized like they got absconded into like an entirely different dimension and like were on this island and they had to go on these like mythic quests and every quest that they did had significant choices that they had to make. And I kept track of all of them. And so when we ended the story, I was able to write up like what their gods stood for based on all the things that they had done, Um, which was, it was it was one of those ones like I went back and was reading over my notes of it a, a couple months ago because I was trying to look up for some ideas for stuff. And I was like, that game was so much fun because every time I made them choose things, they all got so uncomfortable because they didn't know what it meant in terms of their journey and what their characters were going to do. Um, but I, I, I love those kind of like the wackier something can be, the more fun that I think I have in a in an adventure. Um. So, and, and it will, and uh, I guess across the table for folks, we, I know we've hit on it a little bit, but are there, are there like systems 
that you are at like in 2022 heading into 2023 systems or like types of tabletop games that you're feeling more drawn to these days. So I know I can speak for myself, like D and D five is, is great and I enjoy it. It's comfortable. I know that space, but I find myself being drawn to other types of games and other types of storytelling. And I'm just kind of curious kind of where folks are at in that. And we'll go, I'm going to, I'll put Ray on the spot and we'll kind of go backwards from, from last time. Um, yeah. So I I have a very like multi-answer to this because I'm, I'm a forever GM. So, you know, I always want to do all the things. Um, first and foremost, I'm always drawn to powered by the apocalypse games. I, I love them. I love the setup. It's, it's really simple. It's straightforward, but there's so much you can do with it character wise. And that's, that's always what I'm after. I like the characters. I like the stories. That's, I'm not big on crunch. Um, I really like one page RPGs. I've written a ton of them just because you can just, they're great for one shots and they usually have like some ridiculous premise. Um, uh, you know, promoting myself, I made one called apocalypse. Wow. Which is where you just play different versions of Owen Wilson trying to stop an apocalypse. (laughs) It's, it's such of a stupid idea, but I love it. I remember when that was being brainstormed and workshopped. I think I was part of that in a, in a yeah. Discord channel. And I remember the uh, the Photoshop images that our, our friends were making in response to all of that. Yeah, they, they were so kind to do those Photoshop images. And since I am poor, I, I took those and used them. <laughs> with, with, with their permission, of course. But uh, yeah, no, those are, those are more of the games that I'm really interested in looking for, like always trying to do. But you know, on my list as well of games that I would love to play is I would love to get into the world of darkness kind of games because I've always grown up and they've always been like there, but I've never known anybody who wanted to run it or get into it because there's, there's so much attached to it. But one of these days I'll, I'll get in on my world of darkness game and it'll be fun. I think, I mean, well, I not where I've got the somewhere around here are, or in a, a virtual form i think i've got the vampire masquerade books or one of them mm-hmm. i know that i've read them before but we can we'll we'll get we'll put it on the we'll put on the list the list yeah. of games that yeah. were my list of like 80 games in an excel document that i sift through <laughs> um uh dakota what about you what what are what are you drawn to in terms of your your gaming and tabletop experience So I think for me, as I was talking about before, a lot of what I'm drawn to is the interaction with other people and how our characters work. So for me, I'm always drawn to systems that allow you to create really different kinds of characters with very different backstories. So I'm really not drawn to systems that give you pre-existing characters to sort of role play. Um, I really like to to find those different dynamics. Um, I also really enjoy, unlike a lot of other people, I really enjoy things that have a little bit more complexity and guidelines to them because I often struggle until I, I'm really immersed in a world to understand, is this an appropriate thing for me to try to do? Or is this really outside the realm of what this is supposed to be doing? Um, and negotiating that can be a little challenging. So I also tend to look for systems that have a little bit more guidance of 
okay, these are the kinds of things that you can try to do. And you like, these are other things that just aren't really possible. No, I get that. I think, and I think I always appreciate the folks that like really get into like the, especially some of the crunch. Um, like after, I think after my first session with D and D four E, we at some point segued over into Pathfinder, um, which if you want to talk about a game with some crunch, Pathfinder has some crunch to it. Um, and I think there's, there can be a lot of joy, I think, in like figuring out how does it, how does it all work? Um, but I get that. I get kind of looking for some of those. Um, Dakota and I have, have brainstormed playing some games before and I sent, sent them one and it was like, this game feels a bit too nebulous, even for me. And they wrote back, they're like, it is, it is. That game would have required about two hours of just collaboratively negotiating the world before even doing anything else and it was just like i don't know how that would really go and then on the other end of it i've run uh i I can't remember who i've ray might have been there with us but we did a the game of thrones tabletop game which like has an entire like your entire session zero is literally just creating your house and the world but Mm -hmm. like in such a structured broke down way that it's like okay do you have resources? Here's a way to like, here's how you figure out how much resources you have. You're going to lose those. Like we went through like five ages of like, Oh yeah. Like everything burned up in this random age. You lose things. It was, it was a very cool approach to that world building piece. Um, uh, Danny, what about you? What are, I know you said that you're, you're, you've got the solo, the solo TTRPGs have been speaking to you, but in terms of like, when you're looking at systems, what are, what are things that like you've been drawn to? Yeah, yeah. Two things. I want to call back that you use the term table topping, and I love that. That also insinuates table bottoming. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, Gian Shim's uh, journaling game is called Wait For Me. Um, so if y'all want to look for that, it's called Wait For Me. It's a, a three-week-long uh, journaling game about like traveling through time and like all that stuff. But um, systems that I've been really drawn to are... I think I've been so combat heavy and so like roll for this type deal with like the, the, the big systems that are out there that slice of life systems um, and theater of the mind uh, really have grabbed my attention because I love systems that will allow you to fully immerse yourself and not feel like you have to roll to do something, but maybe you can describe it or maybe there's a, mechanic in place that allows you to fall forward but still continue the story um and i do i i personally do love the more uh abstract simpler things so i'm gonna gush about another friend uh jay dragon of uh possum creek games uh they make absolutely um Slice of life, feel good type games. Uh, Wander Home is a, a game where you play little creatures in a beautiful setting. And I played an axolotl where we found like little uh, god spirits in the middle underneath a bridge. Um, another one that they make is Yabiza's Bed and Breakfast. And again, just another slice of life where you just have these weird characters living in this weird place. And what's going to happen? But I do want to jump into uh, Banana Chan's uh, Jiangshu that just has won uh, awards. And I think Banana just won uh, Designer of the Year 
uh, the Dice Breaker Awards. Um, but uh, she's a really good friend of mine, and her and Sen uh, designed this game about uh, Chinese vampires uh, in the 1920s where you're also running a Chinese restaurant. And again, it's just a system that I can see myself in and I can deep dive and maybe learn more about my culture and other cultures and the people that have come before me. So anything that has that theme, anything that's dripping in theme or cute animals or feel like you're in a Studio Ghibli film probably has my attention. Nice. And I, I, yeah, I think I always love like the ideas of games that like really, especially the things that are like so entrenched in like a, in culture in some way. Um, like I picked up a, and this is kind of tangentially culture, but like I picked up like a, it was intentionally written to be like a gay D and D session. And like, it had like a small campaign that went along with it. And like having like a drag queen character that like was in the mix and like having, having these kind of spoke to experiences that like you could relate to and understand was so much fun. Um, I think that like that kind of builds on, I think one thing that I've loved about tabletop, like doing tabletop games in general, I was about to say tabletop gaming again. And then I was like, I said that and tabletopping and now my brain is only going to go to Danny <laughs> referencing tabletopping and table bottoming. Um, but for four, four, table siding, you never table siding. We, you know, we respect, we respect. And I, but I, I think one thing I've loved about it has been the communities that you get to build out of the games and like the, and I'll speak, you know, I know from my experience having um, folks in my, in my discord and really being able to generate a really awesome community around tabletop gaming, which was not the original intent of the discord community that I created, but has kind of spawned out of it and has been really exciting to like see happen. I, I would love to hear from folks about what has it meant to you to find community and however you define that or however you relate to that word within, within tabletop. I know that's a big question. So I'm just going to like put it out there and then let somebody who's, who's ready and, and wants to jump in on that one. I would say that it's, I mean, it's, it's, an essential part of me because there's so much about myself that I've discovered just through gaming and just through the people I meet. Um, it, it definitely answered a lot of questions about um, as far as like my sexuality and, you know, um, working through those feelings and working through, you know, those questions. Like it was a very safe and, and I've been very fortunate to have a very supportive environment for it. And not only that, like, it, it's a really good tie-in I've found in my personal life to to a lot of LGBTQ plus communities is, you know, oh, you play this game. I love this game. Um, and it's, it's a great way to find some common ground. And um, I don't know, like almost it's been my, my experience that, you know, oh, are you gay? Do you game? And do you do tabletop gaming? And like, that's that's usually a three yes sequence. Yeah, well, and I feel like especially, and we'll we'll dive in. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but like I think there's also that ang- like when you're jumping into tabletop and like when you're jumping into spaces, I think there's always like a, a at least for me there's like a level of anxiety of like who am I sitting around a table with to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think being able to find some community and then have that comment, you like knowing you're going into a table like oh I put like 
I know who's around the table, at least identity wise. And that gives me like a marginal barrier, like a marginal reassurance, like we're, we're going to have a potentially good time. Mm-hmm. And then kind of building on there, like, okay, we all have a common ground of tabletop. We can like play our game for, you know, if it's a three hour one shot, the first hour, you're just kind of like feeling everyone out. Like, okay, are we good? Are we okay? But we've got mm-hmm. like a, a space to start. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I'm that person at conventions that will just be like, oh, there's someone running a game over here. I'll sit down and play. I don't know what's going on. I don't know anybody. Um, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And we'll talk about the, the times it doesn't in a, a follow-up question later. Um, <laughs> but for for Dakota or for, for Danny, what has it meant for for you all in terms of like finding community within like tabletop community or tabletop gaming. Yeah, I, I can, I'll, 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 I'll jump in and say that um, it has been something that is literally life changing in the fact that I, I do build communities. I'm the community manager for roll 20. Um, and that's like my full-time gig now. Um, so in a professional sense, it's literally changed my life. Um, in a personal sense, it's, it's, it's saved my life. Honestly, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I could talk about community building and, uh, creating spaces for yourself and, uh, not necessarily asking for a seat at the table, but creating your own table and inviting people that are like-minded and share your values together. Like that. That topic in and of itself, uh, I could talk about for for hours and hours and hours. But it's um, it's been a it's been a very empowering and tough and um, enlightening experience being a community manager um, on both ends, professionally and uh, growing my own personal community and my own brand and having having space to be vulnerable and talk about. Uh, what what a quote unquote safe space is compared to a strong space where we can call out um, bad actors and we can call out problematic things without having to feel like we're we're the odd ones out and um, yeah I, I'm lucky and it's definitely come with a lot of hard work and trials and tribulations and stuff, but it's, it's one of those things where community, uh, community a lot to a lot of people, but I think at the root of it, it's finding those like-minded people that will at the very least give you the space to be you, um, and give you the space to feel, uh, at least heard and have your voice, um, your voice heard. And, uh, yeah, it all compounds from there. Yeah, I feel like that's the when you sit down at the table and you can feel that for the first time when you like know you're in one of those spaces is such a good feeling. Like when something happens around the table and like either someone does call something out or somebody like just makes a joke in a certain way, you're like, oh, wait, I found my people. I found people that I can like kind of let loose and have a good time with. And like there's, I there's for me, there's been fewer things as rewarding as sitting down at a table or sitting down with a group of friends and like feeling that click and have that moment in a game and when it doesn't click or when it doesn't happen and they spend the campaign or spend the time being like, Oh, this is not, I'm not a hundred percent here. Cause it, I haven't, it hasn't, we haven't found that space. Um, and so, and Dakota, yeah. I go ahead. No, I was just going to say it comes with a lot of intersections as well. Um, and that's the best part about this community is that there's, there's so many 
intersections that you never thought you needed and or needed to experience uh, telling funny and or intense stories. And it's, yeah, it's a, it is an amazing feeling being at a table where you don't feel like you have to code switch or you don't have to have that mask on and you can just be, uh, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful. And Dakota, I know for you, I know you talked about coming into tabletop, I think a little bit differently because you came into it primarily virtually. And I think through some, like through discord communities and, and in the pandemic, what has it felt like, what has that experience been for you? I think coming in at a time where community was so important. I think people were really looking for that on a different level than maybe years prior. Yeah. You know, I've been lucky that I have played almost every session of a TTRPG with either exclusively queer people or vast majority queer people at the table or virtual table. Um, And that has been such a wonderful experience to be able to just say, my character uses she, they pronouns and have people, one, understand what that means, and two, use them and or be comfortable with someone saying, oh, they use she, they pronouns and correcting themselves and moving on. Like, just having that experience has been so important to me and and having a community of people around that can um, act within that that realm of respect for each other. But I think the, the thing for me that has been so rewarding about building a community through TTRPGs has really been through having friends introduce me to other like-minded people through inviting me to tables or through inviting my friends who I think will really, you know, vibe with a group of people by suggesting inviting them. Um, so another um, another thing that I love doing is is when I get, uh, you know, a question from someone of, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, but we need another person or two. I'm like, oh, I think this person would be perfect, provide a different perspective than we have at the table right now. They'll you know, bring a different uh, energy that will help, you know, maybe round out the group. And it's just been a wonderful experience meeting people that way and, and finding other, you know, people who I, we can just have fun with. And it's, I think especially like, and, and knowing Dakota, some of the, some of the games either that we're in, like our, one of our campaigns where it's, we've literally got people, I think we counted one time and it was like, we've got like five different time zones covered in our like single game that we're running. Like someone was, vis- I think someone one time was like visiting somewhere like, Oh, I can be on the call. Like I'll still play, but I'm going to be like in California. And we like counted and we are like, we, we have someone in Europe. We have somebody on the East coast of the United States. Like we went across, we're like we have like five time zones, which I think is just something awesome that we've been able to do. And, and in part because Dakota invited a friend from, uh, from our friend from Europe, to be like oh hey like they might be really cool and want to join in this campaign which brought a whole different layer to like our the whole vibe of the group um which has been so much fun and but yeah i think that's that's been like a big thing when i jump into games and when i like and again like i think in the discord community and like having space and and i'm somebody who's like i'm i'm I don't want to say like fiercely protective of my discord space but like i'm i'm protective of things and want to make sure like that it's 
when people are coming in, that it's a good, it's a good vibe and that people are, are understanding what the space is. And then when people jump into games, we don't ever have to worry about like the, is this person going to be cool? Are they not going to be cool? How, how are we feeling? And knowing that like we can run a variety of games and have good experiences regardless of like who's been jumping in because we've been able to kind of cultivate a good community overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been really, I think, rewarding kind of personally over the past couple of years of being able to, I've, I've thrown out some like wacky, like, Hey, I want to do this like really weird tabletop game that I found in, on itch. Uh, who's down for this? Um, like over the holidays, we're going to be doing one that's like inspired by frozen and the snow witch, but like <laughs> leaning into like darker elements of the like fantasy around all of it. GM lists go forth and like, you're, you're going to do this thing. I was like, this game is weird. And everyone was like, we're in, let's do it. We want to play this game. It sounds wild and it should be a good time. And so I think finding folks that like want to jump in and, and not only create the space for your, you as a person, but create space for like, Hey, I don't know if this is going to go well or not. Um, but let's try it and see, and we can still have fun with the failure of a system that doesn't work well, which and I keep, I, I, I realize how many games now Dakota has done with me. Cause I'm like, Dakota was also present for a game that didn't work well. And we won't say its name because it's, it's one of the, it's not a bigger tabletop company, but it's a bigger company in general. That's trying to spit out a tabletop game for their, their IP. And we did a play test and I, I can get down with some crunch, but I've never experienced a system that has much crunch as this one did to the point that it had to do its own math for me on the back end of its setup to make sure oh. we were actually doing it all correctly. Was was this by Nestle? Because it was a bunch of crunch. <laughs> oh my! God. And that's all we have on the podcast for today. <laughs> uh, okay, so I do want to I do want to flip gears a little bit. I know we've been we've been kind of gushing about our communities and talking about how great things have been. And I don't want to like I don't want to bring the podcast vibes down per se, but I do think it's it's we would be disingenuous if we didn't talk about times that like things have been challenging when it comes to tabletop or mm-hmm. t- like challenging in terms of like trying to navigate the space, especially as an assembled panel of queer tabletop gamers. I feel like there's a- different things that may come up when we approach tables. And I'm curious if there's, if folks feel comfortable talking about anything that has, you feel has been challenging or, or roadblocks or barriers that have kind of gotten in the way of your tabletop e- experience. Um, yeah. So, um, for some friends, I was running a supervillain campaign using, uh, mutants and masterminds. And, um, we had a character who had amnesia and he ran into one of his, um, past lovers, like ex lovers. And they were trying to like convince the past lover to go with him. And it was this really great tense moment because, the, the past lover is a hero and this person was playing a villain and it was a lot of like tense stuff going on at, like in the middle of combat. Like we had split up the party. So we would do a round of combat with everybody and then go to this tense scene. And it was a lot of fun to play out. Um, but it was, it was a queer relationship and somebody at the table um, was of a certain religious group that I'm not going to, you know, shout out the name of. Um, but he had a lot of issues with it. And instead of like talking it out, um, he just had his character wait until like everything had been settled and they were back at home base and everything was fine because 
the hero wound up joining the villains and like he just like snuck into this character's room and killed the the character and oh god yeah completely excessive and uncalled for like in in any terms period and like it, like i had to give him the boot but i like made sure like he understood why i was doing it because like that's a that's a faux part to the party but like it's also some bigoted shit that i cannot abide by it at my table right like, yeah so yeah that's that's a roadblock that i saw and um i mean we'd, we'd had problems with the player before which it was stuff like like fudging dice rolls or just outright like cheating or lying or whatever about like what's on their sheet so like it was a long time coming but like this was like absolutely the final nail in the coffin yeah that's always like that's especially like what's hard i think is sometimes if you don't see that coming and then something just like pops up and you're like ah oh yeah ah that's not that's not it yeah it was really weird because um like the whole table was really vibing with like this very tense interaction like people were like flying through their combat they're like yeah whatever i do this you know just trying to speed it up just so that they could get back to this really intense scene and i thought things were going great and then like out of this nowhere this this guy just comes in and is like yeah i'm gonna kill this character while they're sleeping so Ugh. And then did we, we, do you feel like you're able to like, after that person left, like have a space to like kind of reset the group and like be able to kind of move yes, forward? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I'm, I'm really big about is, you know, if we have an issue come up like that, you know, even if the story isn't going in a direction everybody's comfortable with, like, it's so important to like check in with your players and be like, Hey, you know, I know this is going on. Um, you know, I thought I heard some hesitation with you or whatever. Um, if you're not comfortable with how things are going, like, let me know when we can always rewind back, you know, this isn't set in stone at all. So, um, and you know, after they left, like we had a big talk, like of everybody getting together and, um, you know, I just kind of like said, this is how I feel about it. You're welcome to still be this person's friend. You know, I'm not going to hold that against you, but like, that's just, that's a no go at my table. If, if you feel that way or you're inclined that way, you're welcome to leave. But like this is this has just got to be the way things are. Yeah, and it, and I, I'm sure that hopefully that the players then appreciate. Like I, I know as a player, I appreciate like a GM who like does not tolerate nonsense and is like this mm-hmm. is done. Um, so that's unfortunate that that happened, but it sounds like hopefully it it ended in a better place because you got rid of the shitty player and the group could kind of reset. Oh yeah, yeah. The group group did so much better once they were gone. Yeah. Um, um, what about uh, Danny or Dakota? I don't know if either of you have kind of experiences or, or things like what are even just like thematically other things that have like kept you from having good tabletop experiences. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have GMs um, right from the jump uh, be very upfront about safety tools being used um, and being uh, peers with Kiana Shaw, who has curated the the tabletop uh, RPG safety toolkit that really just um, having those safety precautions in place in my games have been uh, very um, comforting. And it also allows for mistakes to happen and for if aftercare, if there's bleed 
um, after the game, having stars and wishes and a place for us to talk um, has been able has been able to almost squash most uh, things that could be potentially bad using X and N O cards, uh, fast forward or rewind lines and veils. Um, but one of the, I guess, most uh, jarring things was um, during an actual play charity stream that I was running um, for Extra Life. And we were playing a kids on bikes uh, game. And um, it was during when the hate raids were going on, when a lot of people of color, queer people of color were getting raided. Um, but we had moderation in place, luckily. And uh, it was... Again, it was a, a, a space where both the audience and the table had things, things like that had already been communicated um, on a, a wider level. So having that safety there, not just for, for me, but the, the table itself and the audience members watching, um, I think that's something important to talk about too, especially in our space. If you do stream or if you do do actual plays is that you 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 aren't only looking for the safety of you or your players but also the the people watching too so um yeah that's that's one one time that sticks out to me that luckily we had um on a technical end uh things to try to mitigate that um it was uh okay for us to take a step away from the table uh go into the green room make sure everybody was okay um moving forward um but if if we didn't ha- have that talk before um things could have gone awry if we didn't have moderation uh and tools in place things could have gone uh really really bad yeah yeah i i remember like i mean not that they haven't stopped in terms of like the hate i mean hate raids are still a thing that happen but i remember when like that peak of it was just like constant and people were just like left and right getting them and all of the things on Twitch you had to do to kind of like lock stuff down to be like, okay, I have a command ready that will basically lock my stream down. If anyone shows up, that is not welcome and brings a ton of people to my, to my stream. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, I think, and like the common theme I've heard from both of you so far is like good tools in place to like address the thing and then follow up on the thing afterwards to make sure like your, the rest of your players are having a good experience. Um, And Dakota, but what about you? Is there, things that you've run into or, or kind of ap- apprehensions you've had in terms of, of finding community and, and playing games. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say that there are, as a trans person, there are a lot of, there's a lot of vetting I have to do before I come to a table to ensure that I am going to be welcome and respected um, mm-hmm. and ensure that, you know, safety tools are being, uh, put in place that you know we're, we are having session zeros to talk through these things beforehand and or you know getting briefed before the session starts um but i think one thing that has probably been my worst experience in the ttrbg community came from a space that was fully kitted out with safety tools was um uh, a group of almost entirely queer people, a number of people who I I know on a personal level and am friends with, but um, the GM had created this homebrew world and had put, you know, countless hours into 
making this, you know, world and creating this story to tell and then had, you know, recruited people to to help, you know, to play through it and, and help tell the story. But they got caught so caught up in their own storytelling that they forgot to think about the experience of the players. So they invited me to come and help facilitate a larger um, part of uh, a separate campaign to, to help uh, play some important side character that um, needed to be, to participate in this session. Um, and so they brought me in. I created this whole character with a backstory and set of, um, you know, skills and abilities and everything. And then within the first 10 minutes, I got killed off. And then I proceeded to sit there for three and a half hours. Um, and I brought this up with the person afterwards. And thankfully, they were very receptive to the feedback. And we were able to talk through sort of why that was such a negative experience for me and why they perhaps weren't, you know, aware of the impact that might have on me. Um, I haven't actually played another session with that person, but I feel like I could now because we were able to have that sort of um, frank, open discussion afterwards. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that's really important to me is uh, beyond the vetting of the table is to try and unless it's something egregious like happened with Ray's story try and work through what I can with people and provide my perspective to see if there's a way that we can continue to work together um because you know there sometimes people just don't they, they get too caught up in what they're doing uh to really pay attention uh to what's going on with everyone else yeah, I think and that can always be hard when someone's got like a very clear vision of like this is the game, this is what I want to do, and like I'm I'm focused on the story over the like interplay of the characters or what's going on, and it, I mean and the story is obviously important, and you definitely want your your DM or GM to like have a good narrative, um, but yeah, that struggle of what does it mean when, especially when you get when your character dies in like a mid session, mm-hmm. or ten minutes in. Um, that can be, I know I've had a couple of those sessions where like I got halfway through and my character died and then I was like cool and I just sat there for two hours being like I'm just sitting at the table not doing anything because I'm dead um, which is not an enjoyable experience um, but again I think the common theme that I've heard from everybody is the after the session's over or after the moment is over having that space to like talk through things check in with folks have that have that feedback or have that conversation and figure out kind of how to move forward, which is, which is great. Um, I know, I, I think for me, like my, my table topping has always been a, a mix of like, I, I generally, again, I think much like uh, Dakota, I, I tend to do a lot of vetting especially for like, especially campaigns or anything that's going to require a lot of my time because I don't want to de- like devote the energy so fully into something and then find out that like, Oh, the people I'm playing at the table with are not people I'm going to be enjoying. Um, but I, I think, and I'll, it's not quite tabletop, but like, I guess most basically like I, whenever I approach tabletop games, I think I, I approach everything, especially like 
I, again, I said, I'm, I love conventions and going and be like, oh, you're running a game. That's so cool. Let me sit at this table and I will play a game. Um, and then I sit down at the table and I remember, oh, wait, I'm a visibly queer person who uses he, they pronouns. And I don't know any of these people sitting around the table with me. And I'm not necessarily, and if I'm not at a queer focused convention, you could be anybody. And I, I think there's always that level of, I, I sort of one time I was at a convention and I was, someone was demoing uh, an actual board game and it had um, a bunch of different like character types. One of them being like an alien category. And one of the care, one of the, the people demoing like did something with a card and like, it was like a, it was a probe or something, and this other guy made it like cracked a joke. He was like, "Oh, do you get it? It's it's funny probing because because they're gay, and so it's a probe." And I literally just like stood it and looked at both of them, and the other person was like, "I, I would describe like as I kind of visibly queer as well, like painted nails, lots of rainbows on them. Like they were one of the work people working at the booth, alongside their like coworker alleged apparently." And just like that experience, like, and they didn't say anything, everything got, got uncomfortable. And then I just spent the next like 10 minutes trying to figure out how can I get out of this game? Like, how can I just like put my cards down and just like walk away? And, and I did, and I'm, I'm a very Midwestern nice person where I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like my friends like need something. I just, my phone just buzzed. I gotta go. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Cause I just want to get out of that situation and. And I just don't have the capacity sometimes, in a, especially in a convention setting, to like call a vendor on their bullshit. Um, maybe now, years later, in the space that I'm in now, I might have more of that attitude to actually just do it. But this was one of my first convention experiences. Um, so, but I think I bring that when I go into some of those spaces with like brand new people of like the walls are up for a little bit until I can like be reassured that I can bring the walls down. Um, and so I think that's always, for me, that's a challenge because that bit can be exhausting of like, I'm starting a new session or I'm starting a new thing. I have to figure out where this is at. And like, are you going to say my character's pronouns correctly if I'm using they, them pronouns for a character? Because I do love using, like, I, I like playing with gender and I like doing different things and, and I rarely play a he, him character anymore. And like, mm-hmm. can you actually respect that? Or can you do things that are going to create a space where I feel like I can continue to lower those walls and... And what does that feel like? Um, but that initial sitting down at the table or sitting down for a session, that experience as a for me as a queer person feels can be exhausting when it is full of new people. And I'm trying to gauge what is my level that I can be authentic in this space, um, which is funny to say because I'm playing a character. But like, how can I bring my authentic self to my character and have both my character and myself like respected in this space? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of testing waters to figure out where is that line at. Um, and I'll, I'll, one, one spot that I, I, I have plugged my friend already now once, but we'll plug him again. My friend, Nate, who runs the pot of blunders, we did, uh, it was a one shot we did for an actual play on his podcast with D and D spell jammer. And we, we played the spell jammer session and one of his, his co-hosts, um, both of whom are like him and his co-host, both straight men. And we were playing and we got into this moment where suddenly the co-host character was flirting with my character and I was like, I know you boys well enough. I think I can do this. And I just kept going with it until my character and his character faded to black in a sex scene, which was one of the most wild things I think that I've ever seen. Like I, I was like, I did not expect our characters to do this. 
But then afterwards, even the co-host saying like, I appreciate that you allowed us to like to play that moment out. Cause I felt like that was, we were rolling and I, I'm glad you felt safe enough to do that in the space that we had created. Um, and I think that's always something that, again, I think I look for in some of those things. Um, so try mindful of our time. I'm going to close out with, I'm going to, I know I posed a couple of questions in a thing, but I'm going to close out with, with a different question. I'm going to put everybody on the spot. Um, so if you could play a tabletop system of your choosing, so you can use whatever system you want. I know, you know, powered by the apocalypse or something like a D and D or whatever, and put it into a franchise or an IP of some sort and play out a campaign, what would you want to do? So do you want to do a Power by the Apocalypse, Lord of the Rings, longstanding campaign? What would be your ideal franchise of some sort? And then if you want to get down into the weeds of what kind of a system you'd run it in, but what would you, what would your dream be? What would you love to do? And because this is a new question that no one has seen before this, I will give you a moment to ponder. I'm going to go with my gut feeling because otherwise I will overanalyze this question and be thinking about it for forever. (laughs) And I think I would love, and this might be weird to say, but I would love to jump into um, the Saw franchise and run a seven episodic, uh, almost maybe like an anthology through um, a a Saul esque vision of you, all these. I mean, it's perfect for the puzzles. It's perfect for motivations. It's perfect to get into nitty gritty dark trauma. And I know earlier I mentioned, oh, slice of life, play animals. <laughs> but on the flip side, I'm also a huge horror fan. Um, and I think if you're at the right table and you have those safety tools in place and you have the, um, the foundation of, of safety there, I think it'd be really cool knowing that you'll probably die in each episode, but you might be coming back to play another character going through different puzzles and who's going to come out on top. Why are they going to come out on top? How does the, the, the game master keep them alive and uh yeah i I, maybe maybe this is just gonna spur me writing my own system for this because it actually sounds kind of cool you're blowing my mind because that's that just like you you said it like especially like you know the puzzles like it's perfect and like i would have never in a million years thought of that so bravo (laughs) and also i don't know what i would have assumed you were gonna say but saw was not on my radar that was not on my radar (laughs) In any capacity. And I love that. Um, Dakota or Ray? Yeah, I guess I'll I'll jump in because my answer is inspired by yet another thing that you GM'd for. Um, <laughs> in fact, it was something we did for this very pod. Um, I would love to run with the anti-capitalist like queer sentiments of something like witch punk, mm. but try to put it into something with a little more structure and um, 
uh, and a little bit more extensive world building than, say, we did with our session of Witch Punks. Like, I think for a long-term campaign, I would really want to have some pretty, like, extensive systems in place to then take down through yeah. uh, this sort of, like, anti, uh, you know, anti-hierarchy um, and hegemonic values um, sort of theme from Witch Punks. Um, but I think that's that's really I sort of fell in love with with that sort of sentiment and being able to play with a group of people who were all embracing that sentiment together. Um, so creating something to run that sort of sentiment for a longer term uh, campaign would be really cool for me. And I love hearing you say that because um, as we were so as we're we're in a D campaign right now dakota and i and we're wrapping we're nearing the end and i've been proposing like hey what if we did some other things outside of D at everything that they just described is one of the systems i'm eyeballing as our possible <laughs> next adventure so i appreciate that there's i've got some slight validation that i might be on the right track for us <laughs> glad i can influence the process um <laughs> uh, and ray what about you uh, I think anybody who knows me or follows me on Twitter already knows this answer. Um, I want a Powered by the Apocalypse Star Wars game. Like, I know mm. there's a few bootleg ones out there, but, like, I haven't found one that, like, fits everything that I want out of it. So, uh, yeah. But that good, the Powered by... I mean, and I know we've talked about it a little bit on here. For anyone who doesn't know, like, Powered by the Apocalypse games are just... They're a 2D6 system. You get a character playbook with some simple decisions about what you want your character to do or have. And then you kind of build it out from there. And again, it like leans so heavy into relationship building and collective storytelling. Um, I think one of the most fun that I've had with that, that base system is a game called Monsters Heart 2. Mm, yeah. And it was a, it was a friend's stream that I was guesting on as like the, the GM for it. And the, I mean, the system is really like, don't have a story. Like, don't write anything down. Just let your characters do their thing and you instigate all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. your high schoolers who are like monstrosities. And so it's like a parallel of your like monster selves in high school. And it was like the first thing you had to do is make a, a homeroom seating chart and then talk about everybody. Like, why is this person sitting so far away from you? What did they do that makes them so dislike you? And just like the narrative we got to play out with all of that with a very simple system around it was incredible. Um, And then again, I posed a question and I didn't even take the time in my own brain to like consider what my answer might be. Um, But I think, and I I don't know if I would tie it to like a specifically like Marvel or DC kind of a franchise, but I would love, and I've yet to find something that has truly spoke to me and really satisfied this itch, but like, I want like a full on superhero tabletop experience. And I know monsters and mastermind or mutants and mastermind is like in that vein. Mm -hmm. I know I've looked at it a little bit and I don't remember why my brain didn't like click with it when I was reading over some of it. Mm -hmm. But like I want, I don't know. I just want something that allows me to have as much flavor to the character as I want. Like I want to build out the powers and have fun. Um, Cause it's something that like, it should be right there. And I've, I've tried some like supplementals of this or little bits of that. And like, nothing has like, cause I, I, much like I think Ray was saying before, like when you have superheroes, like how do you level them up? Like they're already superheroes and how do you develop this in an interesting way? And I would love something that kind of hones in on that and really lets me like play around and, and, and maybe it, and 
Power by the Apocalypse probably has some of that leeway with it, but I know that there's probably some like good crunchy systems out there that would really let me like have some fun. I've got a system I'm going to pitch you after this. So Okay. Okay. I look yeah. forward to that. <laughs> I'm, and I'm sure it doesn't have extensive tables of possible damage <laughs> and things like some of the other things. We've Certain played. other ones that we may have demoed and it did not go well. Um Awesome. So that is, we're going to wrap up there. I first, I want to thank all of you for taking some time on a weeknight to, to record. Um, I just always appreciate that folks are willing to, to take some time and share some space with us on the podcast and, and that you're kind of help here to tell your stories and, and share your experiences. So I just, I appreciate that folks are willing to, to share some of the things that you have tonight. Um, and I will do my question, which I always do, which is if you would like to be found on the internet, where may people find you? And we'll we'll just alphabetically go down the line. I will also put links in the show notes to everybody's socials that you share with me. Um, but Dakota, where can people find you if you'd like to be found? So I can be found uh, at Vision in Lilac on almost every social platform out there that's you know kind of popular right now. I regularly stream on Twitch, so definitely you can find me there. But Try your social platform Vision in Lilac and I'll probably pop up. And I highly encourage checking out Vision streams. They are a delight and they're just cozy and wonderful and a nice a nice space if you're looking for a fun streamer. Uh, Danny, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, y'all can find me all over the internet at Brutal Dan. That's B-R-0-0-T-A-L-D-A-N, um, spelt in leet speak, because that was my old school StarCraft handle back on the Battle.net, if y'all remember that. Um, yeah, you can usually just find me. if A lot of my answers, I reference a lot of marginalized creators. Um, that's pretty much what my platform is made of i i live to hype up marginalized voices in our space and amplify anything and everything um on what's going on so uh just also be mindful that i'm a menace all over tiktok and twitter um and (laughs) yeah if you if you want that chaos uh i invite you to get to know me i think that means that you're doing tiktok and twitter correctly if like your chaos (laughs) and yeah it sounds right yeah. Uh, and Ray, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, I'm a menace to society over on Twitter. It's at Mr. Ray RPG with a space between each word. Um, you can find me on the podcast, $2 Creature Feature. Um, it's a spooky monster of the week podcast. Uh, we're brought or we're produced by Q Times, which is a uh, podcast network that pushes um more diverse and lgbtq stories so it's definitely like something there's a little something for everybody in the network so be sure to check that out and then um i also write games uh tabletop games saying you can find them at my itch store which uh, if you just go to itch.io and look up mr ray you'll you'll find them and if you've purchased any of the itch charity bundles like supporting trans kids or reproductive rights you probably have some of my games already they're they're in those bundles where it's like click on and scroll through your 200 games that you have purchased and yeah yeah, there's just you're gonna find that little gem and be like oh my gosh that's a mr ray game oh yeah three baddie three baddies and a baby (laughs) yes yeah yeah that's um 
Awesome. And as as always, if you're listening, um, our socials for the podcast are um, at the queer XP on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I have not ventured further out from those at this moment. Um, and hopefully in the time between recording and releasing this episode, Twitter still exists. That's my constant theme right now is if Twitter's still there, we'll be there. Um, but otherwise, I, again, just want to thank everyone for coming on. I um, want to thank folks for listening. Please, if you enjoyed our conversation, share it with all your friends. If you didn't enjoy the, the conversation, then just close the window and move on. <laughs> but once again, thank everybody. My name is Eric. This has been The Queer Experience, and we will see you next time.